What does it really mean to suffer for Christ? Have you, have you ever thought about that as you, as you read, the, read the scripture? We've been talking about it uh, a couple different times. We've talked about it here in 1 Peter. Peter's mentioning suffering for Christ. And in New Testament times, and certainly in some places of our world today, it could mean being ostracized uh, from your family. It, it could mean uh, losing your job. It could mean losing friends. It could mean uh, public beatings. It could mean going to jail, even death. Um, when, I think when Peter talks about sufferings, that's exactly what he was talking about, especially when he talks about Christ's sufferings. Christ went to the cross on our behalf. Uh, Paul, would, Paul would write and he would talk about the sufferings he experienced for the gospel and the beatings and the shipwrecks and the, um, he was ostracized. He was, there was so much that Paul went through. Oh, if we read in Hebrews, the reader of Hebrews says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He said, so you're struggling, yeah, but you're not dead yet. So you're, you know, it's not as bad as what some have had. And so um, when, when I think about suffering in that context, and I think, well, what, what is suffering for us? You know, we, nobody like took an alternate route to church this morning because they thought they might be followed. We just came because this is what we do. We enjoy that freedom to do it. So um, as, we're, as we get into the scripture this morning, we're talking about suffering just the definition of that word would be to experience evil or to undergo uh, hardship or pain. And so certainly uh, there is this first century kind of suffering that Christians experienced and that Christians in our world experience today, not not so much here in the United States. But uh, let me ask you, what evil, hardship, or pain have you experienced because of your beliefs in Jesus Christ? We're going to be talking about it this morning. We're going to read it together. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to uh, start in verse 13. These are a couple of verses we looked at um, last week, and it kind of sets the, sets the tone for uh, where we're going this morning. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Right? This idea, like, if you're doing what's right, who's going to give you trouble for that? Um, but he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ as the, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this morning, there's uh, certainly some, uh, some things that maybe we don't talk about all the time. 
um, there's this idea of suffering for the sake of Christ. And, and it seems like this was, was your plan, that Christ would suffer uh, and, and have victory over death, sin, and the grave. And this is what we celebrate. We sang about it this morning in celebration. And so, Lord, help us to understand this idea of suffering for Christ's sake. Uh, would you just uh, teach us this morning? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so Peter talked about suffering uh, for uh, a little bit in chapter 2. He went to some instructions, some relational instructions in chapter 3. Now he's coming back into suffering here at the end of chapter 3. He mentions a couple things about preaching to spirits in prison. He talks about baptism for a second. And then he jumps right back into suffering in chapter 4. So we're going to uh, see what he has to say about suffering this morning and, and, uh, and, and see how that would apply to our lives. So... Like we said here in verse 13, it would make sense that if you were doing what was right, you would not have opposition to that. You wouldn't have any conflict. People would support you. People would cheer you on. People would want to jump in beside you and help you. Um, but we also talked about last week how Satan has always opposed the cause of Christ. Right from the very beginning, we see that in Scripture. We see it all through Scripture. We experience that today. So Peter's writing to let us know, though, in, in despite of all our, our efforts to do what is right, to be obedient to God, we will face opposition. We will suffer for Christ's sake. But he also gives us some hope this morning, that if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, he says in verse 14. Uh, when we get to the end here in chapter 2, we see Jesus sitting on the throne victorious. So we do have a hope. Um, and so as we, as we look, as we get into this new, these new verses for this week, um, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter's saying, don't fear those who may persecute you. Don't fear those who would cause you to suffer. Don't be troubled. And verse 15 says this, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So this verse is often quoted when we're talking about a, a, an opportunity for evangelism. I've used it in that context as well. You know, if someone, if, if you're having a conversation, you always need to be ready to tell someone where your hope is, what your faith is in, what you are trusting in, what gives you any sense that the future is going to be okay. Um, and so when it says, in, in my translation here, it says make a defense to anyone, it might say to give an answer or to give a reason, it's the Greek word apologia, where we get the idea of apologetics, making a defense for what you believe, giving a reason for the hope that you have. But there's a, there's a bigger context here, and we've read verse 13 and 14, Peter's talking about suffering. He's talking about you're doing what's right, and, and you have opposition against you, and um, this has certainly been Peter's experience. If you go back to Acts chapter 4, we see Peter and John, they heal a man who was crippled. They did what was right. They did what was good. You'd think people would be excited for them and people would uh, be encouraging them and thanking them, but they end up uh, arrested, detained, interrogated for this for helping this man in the name of Jesus. And of course, what did Peter do? He preached the gospel to the people that had arrested him. Later in his life, we see in Acts chapter 12, we're gonna read these verses. Um, 
they're preaching the gospel. They're, the, the word of Jesus is being spread throughout the, the, the area. And it says in Acts chapter 12, verse one, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He laid violent hands. I'm thinking of, of, a, of a beating, uh, roughing them up. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. All right, when we read through the New Testament, we see Peter, James, and John doing things with Jesus all the time. King Herod put James to death by the sword. He saw that the, the Jews were happy about that. It says he saw that he pleased the Jews, so he arrested Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when they had seized him, Herod put Peter in prison, delivering him over to four squads of shoulders to, soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, you remember what happened to Jesus when he was brought out to the people after he was arrested? They crucified him. So not looking good for Peter at all. Uh, this, is, this is Peter's experience. And so when Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He's speaking from experience. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been put in jail. And, and in those situations, he preached the gospel to those who were uh, treating him poorly, who were treating him wrongly. And we've, we have brothers and sisters in the Lord that are, are facing similar um, types of persecution. In the world today, we've had Pastor Vijay from India here and, and share of his ministry and, and preach. And he's shared uh, of the times where he's been beaten, where he's been arrested for, because of his faith, because of preaching the gospel. But how do we, so how do we suffer though? Is anybody afraid of getting arrested this afternoon for their faith? Not, not in Blairsville, Georgia. I mean, you know, you could go, you know, pick your, pick your city that you would not want to live in in, 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 you, in North America. You could go there. You're not going to get arrested for being a Christian. So how do we suffer for Christ? Well, what about when you get engaged? You know, you and your fiance, you're trying to honor the Lord. You're trying to live uprightly before the Lord. Um, you know, you've got your apartment, fiance's got their apartment, and what are your friends saying? Just move in together. You're going to save money. Think of all the money. You're, the wedding's expensive, the honeymoon's expensive. Just move in together, and it'll be easier. You'd save some money. You're going to be living together in a few months. You just said, you're going to get married to this person. Why don't you just live together? You're being stupid, right? And you say, well, what about Hebrews 13, 4? Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So you're just saying, look, I'm just trying to live by... Is that suffering? It's a, it's a form of pain and hardship that you might feel, uh, maybe a lost relationship. Um, what about when the boss is gone and your coworkers are all leaving early? Like, come on, let's go. He's not here. He's not coming back. Why stay when nobody else is here, right? And so you say, well, I'm not here. Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Like, I'm being paid to stay until five, so I'm just gonna stay until five and work. And like, they're all laughing at you as they leave. Is that hardship? Is that suffering? Um, maybe you're self-employed and, you know, you're talking with the other people in your, in your industry, your area of work, and they're all like, man, just take cash, don't, don't pay tax on something you don't have to pay tax on. Just take cash and you can avoid a lot of hardship. You have more money in your pocket. Of course, Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and the gods the things that are gods. Are, 
What do you think? Are these legitimate forms of suffering for a Christian in North America? They're hardship, pain? I would say yes. I would say not on the level that Peter experienced. I would say not on the level that a lot of people experience. Um, I've heard a lot of Christians concerned that our, our new administration is the first step towards America. Um, here in America, Christian suffering in the public arena. We're on a da- downward trajectory, away from freedom. You know, we're going to lose all our religious freedoms. And it's, it's true, our elected officials, our appointed judges, they make decisions that either grant us more freedoms or less freedoms. They make decisions that either increase our safety or decrease our safety. They make decisions that are favorable for the Christian faith or unfavorable for the Christian faith. And I think that as citizens of an, on an, in an earthly nation, we do have hope that our future is gonna be better, right? We want, we want our kids and our grandkids to have uh, a good future and that we want them to have hope. We want them to have a good life. But what if every religious freedom we had was removed? Any of you watched the show Doomsday Preppers? You, I mean, you laugh, but it's, it, it, seriously, anybody watch that? It, I don't think it's on anymore. So you got one guy preparing for, the, for a nuclear holocaust. He thinks that's how it's gonna end. And he, so he's got his bunker and he's got his rations, he's got his supplies. You have somebody else that thinks that the, uh, is it an EMP? electric magnetic pulse or something from the sun is gonna shut down all the electronic activity on, on the earth. And so he's preparing for that. And then you have another one that thinks the polar vortex is coming, right? The ice age. So you have these doomsday preppers getting ready for whatever disaster. What if, what if, what if every one of them happened? What's Peter's instruction for us? He's not giving a strategy to rally, organize, protest, stockpile, right? As Christians, we have another hope, don't we? First uh, John chapter two says, the world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will live forever, right? We have to remember the end game. Christ will return. He will take his children to be with him. He's gonna set all, thing, all things right. So Peter would say, even if you will suffer for righteousness sake, even if the worst days are ahead, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. This is what he tells us, here's our preparation. In your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. So what does this mean? Honor Christ as holy. Acknowledge that he's Lord. Recognize that he's in control. Realize that anything that you face, anything that I face as a child of God has been allowed by God. Realize he alone is worthy to have the ultimate priority in my life, that he's going to rule my life. And it says to do this in your hearts. You have to resolve that these things are true for you personally. They can't be, I can't make them true for you, you can't make them true for me. Each one of us has to resolve that Christ is Lord over my body and over my soul, right? We can remind ourselves of scripture. I will not fear of those who can kill the body but can't touch my soul. Remember that God knows the number of hairs on my head. Remember that if he cares for the birds of the fields that he will take care of me. But the second thing there is to be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. We have to know that we have hope no matter what life brings 
whether it's just some ridicule from a coworker, or if it's the end of our religious freedoms, or if a nuclear war starts tomorrow. We have hope that's outside of this world. We have eternity with Christ waiting for us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't get involved in politics, that we don't go out and vote, that we uh, don't have political conversations, but when we're in the midst of these conversations, we need to bring a biblical worldview into it. What does the Bible have to say? I think it's so interesting, and I always remember uh, uh, people older than me when I, was, you know, when I was young, you don't talk about politics and religion. Anybody been told that or said that to someone before? You don't do that. Well, I'll tell you, that's an, we can call that an old saying now, because everyone's talking politics. The question is, who's talking religion? What I see in these political conversations, two common themes, hope and despair. You have hope in one party and you have despair in the other party. You, you, you pick your party. So here's, here's what Peter's saying. Be prepared to let someone know why you have hope. Right, so you know the people that you interact with, you know what their political bent is, you know what party they have hope in, what party they have despair in. Why don't we prepare ourselves for the people we know we're gonna interact with and the political viewpoint that we know that they have so that when they are talking about the hope they have in their party, you can tell them, look, you know what my hope is? It's in Jesus Christ. And when they're talking about the despair they have in the other party, you can say, you know what, that doesn't concern me so much because I have hope in Jesus Christ. This is what Peter is asking us to do. But look at the last part right here. This is a good reminder for me. Do this with gentleness and respect. Isn't that the hard thing? Right, to have, to have humility, uh, to be kind. Proverbs tells us a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And, uh, you know, the science that talks about that flight, uh, fight or flight instinct that we all have. When we're challenged with something, we either want to fight or we want to run. The fight or flight. Uh, Peter's not saying that we should do either one. We shouldn't fight, but we should be prepared to give an answer with gentleness and respect. Doesn't tell us to run away. Well, just don't get into that area of life. You know, we just leave that and uh, we'll just go to church on Sunday, not worry. Doesn't say that either. But to have a, be prepared to give an answer with gentleness and respect. When we do this, verse 16 says, we have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Uh, I can't agree with everything Plato said, but one thing he did say was, when men speak ill of you, live so that no one believes them. That, that's a good, good saying for us as Christians. When men speak evil of you, live so that no one believes them. We're not, we're not promised a life without difficulty. In fact, I think Peter wrote these words knowing that we would have difficulty. And so we are to be prepared for those difficulties. Jesus prepared Peter. We, we looked at Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, about what, what to do when you're persecuted. 
Jesus prepared Peter, and now Peter is helping to prepare us. When, when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, maybe even the night before his crucifixion, uh, he told his disciples, look, I'm, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but the Holy Spirit's coming to help you. And he said, I have said these things to you in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said to his disciples, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I keep going back to, to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, where it tells us um, that when Jesus suffered, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We see the same, th- the same thought here in verse 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus was the righteous one. He committed no sin. We're the unrighteous. We sin all the time. And yet Jesus suffered for you. He suffered for me to bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, the verse says, but he was alive in the spirit. It's the gospel. Jesus suffered and died for you. He suffered and died for me. Question is, do we believe it this morning? This is the victory that we sang about. Without his suffering and death, burial and resurrection, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't have these songs to sing. We wouldn't be celebrating. We wouldn't be looking forward to uh, our eternal hope with him without what Jesus did for us. And so we celebrate uh, his victory, but we also recognize that as believers, when we suffer and we remain faithful, we had, we're creating an opportunity for, for someone else to look and say, wow, look at the way the Lord looked, the, the Lord worked. <laughs> Third time. The Lord worked in Cal's life. He had this hardship and he remained faithful and the Lord, the Lord was at work. All right, when, I, when I'm reading through this passage, it's almost like Peter just mentions a couple things here at the end, because at the end of chapter three, and then he, just, he's gonna, we're gonna, he goes back into suffering in chapter four. So we're gonna look at these, these two things that Peter mentions here, uh, not spending a lot of time on it, but just, uh, just talking about it for a few minutes. Let's read verse 18 again. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, and that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. All right, so what in the world are we talking about here? Uh, Well, that's been the question scholars have had for probably since Peter wrote it. Maybe they could have asked him. So after Peter died, uh, so there's there's kind. I'm just going to present. There's maybe three different ways to look at this. Uh, I'm not necessarily convinced 100% on on any one of the three. I maybe lean more towards one. But let me let me tell you the different ways that this has been interpreted. One, 
um, that after Jesus' death on the cross, he went to the spirits in prison uh, and he preached to them. So these were, um, these were, these were men who, and women who had died during the days of Noah and there they were in, in, in hell or in Hades. And Jesus went to them and he preached to them. So um, if, you, if you think that this was the, the, the right interpretation, there's probably some questions that you'd have to ask. Well, what did he preach? Um, why did he choose the people that lived in Noah's day? Like, why not the people in Abraham's day? Or why not the people in King David's day? Um, why did he pre- preach to those select few? I think we've got to be careful to say and be clear that if, if these were the people that he preached to, he was not offering a second chance uh, of redemption. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere, although some people would use this verse to, to say that. It's, it would not be anywhere else in Scripture. So that would be number one. He, maybe he went and he was preaching to people who had died uh, before the flood in Noah's day. Uh, another interpretation, of, very similar. Jesus, after his death on, death on the cross, went to the spirits in prison, but these spirits were the fallen angels of Noah's time. And we read in, in uh, Genesis chapter 6 that the, about these um, sons, of, sons of God, I think they're referred to as. And uh, maybe these are, are, are the fallen angels. And uh, there's references in, in Jude and, and in Second Peter, actually, to uh, angels that have been kept in chains of gloomy darkness. And maybe these are the ones that Jesus went and preached to. So again, the question is, well, uh, why would he be preaching to angels and what would he be saying to them? Maybe he was declaring victory, that he'd had victory over the grave. So this is another um, line of thinking. Then the third line of thinking would be that um, Christ in the spirit, going back to the end of verse 18, preached to the men and women of Noah's day through Noah. Um, so they were, they're now suffering judgment as spirits in prison uh, because they didn't believe Noah's preaching. And so uh, along those lines, um, in, in chapter one here, First Peter, Peter mentions that the spirit of Christ worked through Old Testament prophets. And they say, so Noah was one of those prophets that the spirit was working through. Um, Peter calls Noah in, in second Peter, he calls Noah a herald of righteousness. And so he was, he was preaching and they were not, um, they did not respond to his preaching positively. So, the, so, the, so someone arguing along these lines would say, it's equivalent of saying this, a tent revival was held and the evangelists preached to the souls that were dead in their sins and chains. So kind of a, a figure of speech. Uh, so which one? I, you could study it more and do some more reading and see who's, who's thinking one way or the other way. I think we talked about having unity of mind a couple weeks ago. I think this is a great example of a passage of scripture that we're, something is being revealed to us, but we, we don't have a full, complete picture of what exactly it means or why it's there even. And so we can have unity with, with one another if you think it's the, the men and women um, in Hades that Jesus went to, or if you think that Jesus was preaching through Noah um, before the flood, we can have fellowship together. It's not essential to our salvation. We can minister to each other. So those are a few things that, that uh, a few ways to look at that, those two verses. Um, so it says that, um, that Noah, while the ark was being prepared, uh, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, Baptism, verse 21 says, which corresponds to this, now saves you. 
not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So some, some, uh, some people would interpret this to say, if you want to be saved, you must be baptized. It says here baptized, which corresponds to this. Baptized, which is, the ark was a picture of baptism. Um, it, it now saves you. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. What is, what is baptism? Um, we believe that baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. I think that's the term Pastor Darrell likes to use. It's a, great, it's a great term. What's the reality? That we have been saved through Jesus' work on the cross. Um, why do we do baptism? Well, we're, we follow the example of Christ. He was baptized by John the Baptist. He told his disciples as he was leaving this earth, go therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's why we, why we, we do it. It was Jesus' command. Uh, here at House of Prayer, we baptize by immersion, uh, full body immersion. We baptize a person who has declared that Jesus Christ is their Savior. Um, it's the way that Jesus was baptized. It was the way that baptisms were recorded in the scriptures. We believe baptism is a step of faith. You're stepping out in faith in front of everyone who's there. We had a, a service here at the beginning of the month, and we had two that said, I am a follower of Christ, and I want you to know that. And again, it's a step of obedience, as, as it was Jesus' command. But it's also a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And when we, a lot of times in our baptism services, we'll read from Romans chapter 6. And it uh, teaches that just as Jesus died on the cross, he was buried for three days, he rose victoriously. So at our salvation, we died to sin and become alive to God in Christ. So that picture of baptism, the person's standing, or, or in our new one, they get to sit, uh, but they're upright like Jesus was on the cross. They go under the water. It's a picture of Jesus uh, dying and being buried, but he doesn't stay dead. Jesus rose victoriously. So it's, it can be a picture of our salvation. Uh, so that's just a quick overview of the baptism, but also our salvation. What, what saves a person? Of course, it should be who saves a person. It's God who saves. But how is a person saved? It's through belief in what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. When the, the, the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must we do to be saved? Paul said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And of course, we could look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works so that no one can boast. So Paul here in Ephesians is making it clear, your salvation isn't a result of something that you do. It's not something that you earn. It's a gift from God. No one can boast. So when, we, when, when we're here in 1 Peter, the picture here, what Peter's saying is baptism, uh, or excuse me, Noah and the ark is a picture of baptism. So just as uh, Noah and his wife and sons and daughter-in-laws, they went into the ark. Was it the ark that saved them or the water that saved them? They're actually being saved from the water in this case because they trusted that this message from God was true. If you go into the ark, you will be saved. So in the same way, uh, Peter says baptism is similar. 
it now saves you. And he clarifies, he wants to clarify right away. He says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. You're not taking a bath and getting, getting something washed off of you. But he says, baptism appeals to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what's this appeal to a good conscience? First, their conscience is clear because they put their, you've, when you go to be baptized, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You believe in what God did for you in, uh, in his work on the cross. And secondly, your conscience is clear because you are stepping out in faith, being obedient to this command to be baptized. So it, it's, not a, it's not that the baptism saves you, but baptism is a picture of the salvation that has already occurred. In the same way that the, the uh, Noah and the ark was a picture of salvation, trusting in God took Noah and his family from disaster to safety. So Peter kind of pulls it all together here in verse 22. And he reminds that as through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he didn't just stay there in the grave. We, we talk about this all the time. He was resurrected and he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus is on the throne. Like that's, our, that's, our, that's our hope this morning. So Peter's concluding this passage. He's saying, look, you may suffer for doing what's right. Uh, you might not always be treated fairly. You may be treated poorly. You may be ridiculed. You could be scorned. But no matter what happens, be prepared to tell someone where your hope is. And where's, where's Peter's hope? Where's our hope this morning? That Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. He didn't stay in the grave, but he rose victoriously. That's our hope. And not just that Jesus went there, but that we will follow if we believe in him. The Bible says that every knee will bow before him. It's my prayer that we make that decision to bow before him today. That we put our faith and trust in him and say, Jesus, you're Lord. We're, I'm going to honor you as Lord. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you. There's nothing better than our relationship with Jesus Christ. He will see us through anything that we might face. Heavenly Father, we, we have so much to be thankful for. Lord, we, we've sung already this morning the victory that you had um, over death, that you, that you rose victoriously. Uh, Lord, we're... we're I'm just so excited and thankful that you would send Jesus to die on the cross in my place. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't understand that this morning, if they uh, maybe have heard it but never believed it, never said, yeah, that is true for me. I am a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. Lord, I pray that that person would take care of that today. They would just admit, admit their sin and that they would believe that you died on the cross for them, that they would put their faith and trust. Lord, I pray, and I, and I, and I just ask, if that's you here this morning, come to the front as we sing this song. Uh, there'll be someone that will pray with you, someone to talk to you. Lord, I pray that uh, we would recognize that our salvation is through Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, I pray that when we, when we suffer, when people speak poorly of us, when, when we're not treated fairly because of the right things we're doing because we're following you. Lord, I pray that we would, our first response is to tell uh, people why we have hope, uh, that we would uh, respond with gentleness and respect. Lord, I thank you that we 
uh, have been made alive in you, and I pray that that would be evident to all. Lord, I pray that we would entrust ourselves to you the same way that Jesus entrusted himself to you when he went on the cross. Lord, thank you for setting the example. Lord, thank you that uh, you are on the throne and we can put our faith and trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.